G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. So what is the biggest challenge? Is it climate change? Is it the terror attacks that we've seen continuing around the world and even on our shores here in Australia? Is it homelessness and poverty? Is it out-of-control alternate sexuality? Is it economic issues, corruption, mass migrations, culture wars? Is it drug epidemics, a parenting crisis? Is it low literacy levels or a disintegration of education standards? Well, it could be those. It could be any number of things. You might have your own thoughts as to what the biggest challenges that the world is facing in 2018. And some are wondering if the Christian gospel is actually good news in a world where it looks like humanity is making a little bit of a mess of so many things. Well, at Christmas time, we celebrate the incarnation of Christ. He is called Emmanuel or God with us. What does that mean in good news in a world that is you know, by all appearances in so much turmoil. Well, let's get some insights today. A name that will be so familiar to you and wherever you are around Australia, there is good possibility that you've been within striking distance of seeing this man's presentation as he's travelled the length and breadth of Australia with the Teach All Nations, with his Understanding the Times tours over the past four years. Dr. Camille Majdali is back with us and on the line from the UK. Camille, a special welcome back to 2020. Good to be with you, Neil. Camille, I must say, uh, and I thank you very much, humbly, uh, that you've stayed up late to talk to us today, uh, something like half past 12 in the morning in the UK. Whereabouts are you? I'm in a place in North Oxfordshire called Banbury. Okay, well, uh, live from Banbury, uh, all over Australia, every state and territory, 711 cities, towns and communities, and uh, ready for a great discussion about the sorts of trends that we've seen develop in 2018. And it may be that they didn't just develop in 2018, that they might have been developing for many, many years. But when you think of top trends, uh, which ones come to mind for you, Camille? Well, I think for me, I listened to your list of trends that were given, and I would say of all the trends mentioned, the biggest challenge for sure in my mind is the culture war above everything else, above the economic, above religious strife and jihadism, above just about everything. I believe that this is our biggest challenge, and if we understand it and respond accordingly, then so many of the other challenges will fall into place and be met. And Camille, when we are a Christian, we declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. We have a high view of the Scriptures, and we can understand 
uh, what truth is, then we can actually put ourselves in a context for understanding this culture war. Actually, we as Christians have a tremendous advantage here because a lot of people floating around in the never, never, never really knowing what they believe and being swayed by every wind... How, how much of an advantage do you think it is, the fact that we are Christians and that we have an anchor, a firm foundation? Great question. First of all, as in so many things, Neil, we have to define our terms like Christian, because everything in this culture war and postmodernism and whatever else is being redefined, oftentimes beyond recognition. When we talk about Christian, we're talking about someone who's had a genuine experience of saving faith in Christ, is following Christ according to his word, and being led and filled by the Holy Spirit and rightly related to the body of Christ. For that kind of person, that Christian, in my opinion, the biblical definition, we have a great advantage because we not only have insight for today, but we have great hope for tomorrow. We can be very optimistic despite the myriad of challenges faced in our world today. Okay, you've raised a very important point, Camille, and it's not often that we'll have a definitive way about talking about how it is that you are as a Christian and what you do in your belief and the way you behave. And you've just set out a wonderful definition there because the alternatives there would be the person who's a non-believer and not connected to any sort of church, has no faith, has no formation when it comes to faith issues. And then there's this person who sits in the middle of all of that that we might call a nominal Christian, a Christian by name, but someone who doesn't really take up this challenge. You know, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That person who's a nominal Christian, they're blown around by every wind as well. What are your thoughts for the disadvantage for the person who is just a nominal Christian in understanding where you're at in all of these trends and understanding culture wars? Well, the nominal Christian or Christian in name only is virtually no different to the person that's thoroughly unchurched, whether by choice or just by design. Because the point is that when we follow Christ, he is the light of the world. We have understanding, both of spiritual things as well as of the times. We have rock-solid hope and truth and faith, peace and love. These kind of things are glaringly missing when people don't walk with the Lord as we understand it. A lot of us try to avoid any conflict by getting involved in the discussion about some of these issues from a Christian perspective. And uh, that avoidance of the conflict sometimes, uh, I think, is a disadvantage, isn't it? Uh, Certainly for the cause of Christ, uh, but also it sort of lets the individual down too when you're not ready to stand up for what you believe. What are your thoughts for uh, being a courageous Christian who can stand up and actually move from that idea of being nominal to actually saying, okay, I'm on the Lord's side? Great question, Neil. There are many things going on in life that we would do best to well, not get involved. We need to choose our battles wisely. But when the battle is virtually on your doorstep, and when so much is at stake, like faith, family, and the future, 
we have no choice, Neil, but to get involved. Courage is probably the most quintessential of all the leadership traits that we need. I don't often hear courage and leadership linked together, but it has to be. And not just courage for leaders, but courage for all who name the name of Jesus. These are challenging times, and it will take courage to move forward. There's so much to talk about here, and listeners might like to contribute when it comes to the trends we're seeing and even your assessment of what you might be seeing in Christian churches, both here in Australia and around the world. So many different trends, so many big issues to talk about, Camille, because we can talk about issues to do with Donald Trump. I know these are some of your favourite issues and ones that are developing all the time but also issues like the EU and the Brexit. And this week we have seen major upheavals in the UK and a challenge to the leadership of Prime Minister Theresa May as she's survived that, survived a no-confidence motion. Uh, what are your thoughts for the big major happenings in the UK and with uh, with uh, all around the, the Brexit issue? Well, Brexit is probably the single most challenging and major issue to face the UK since the Second World War. I can say that it's no exaggeration. This is a biggie. You're talking about an association that Britain has been part of called the European Union or EU for over 40 years, like I think 45 years. And now Britain wants to have a divorce. And the biggest challenge has at this point not been with the EU. They have agreed to the draft divorce agreement, but it's a challenge within the British Parliament and within Mrs. May's own Tory conservatives, though they're not all that conservative, not all. So she's having the fight of her life, but it's not just for her. It's for this whole concept of Brexit. It's a bit paradoxical because she actually voted to stay in the EU, but once she became prime minister, because David Cameron resigned immediately after the referendum, she took on to be basically Mrs. Brexit. She, As far as she's concerned, the British people voted to leave, and she wanted to honor that vote. Okay, when we talk issues of national sovereignty, and uh, this is part of the Brexit issue, is that uh, people in the UK are wanting to uh, separate themselves from the control that comes from the EU. What is it that's Christian about that, Camille, and how do we apply faith to understanding these global trends, major movements like we see with the Brexit? What are your thoughts? Well, the national sovereignty is one of the major reasons that the British public voted for Brexit, because it was being seriously eroded by the day. There was no control over their borders, or I should say there was l much less control, because Britain is not part of the Schengen Agreement, which allows free movement of people. Twenty-eight other countries in Europe, including non EU countries like Switzerland and Norway are part of Schengen. Britain is not. But also, it was estimated that only 41% of laws enforced in Britain actually came from London, Westminster, and 59% were coming from the EU. Now, in one sense, it's not technically speaking a Christian issue, but 
it is a Christian issue to exercise our democratic right, but you can't really exercise it very well unless you are informed. I'm very passionate about people understanding the times. That's why we have a tour, to know what they need to do. So the Christian thing, of course, is to learn the issues, pray, and be led by God on the right thing to do. And there were Christians on both sides of the fence, but uh, I know that the people who wanted to do Brexit were in intense intercession and prayer, and despite the odds, their prayers were answered, and Brexit was voted on. Well, of course, all of the turmoil that seems to be going on in the UK, and you're in the UK, you might give us some uh, on-the-ground insights here, but with uh, national sovereignty, uh, there is an economic impact with the withdrawal from the EU, and you might add this idea that freedom comes uh, with a price tag. Uh, What are your thoughts for the economic outcomes that will come along with the Brexit? That's a good question, and it's not easy to answer. Britain did derive some benefit from being in the Union. But at the same time, Britain was sending a lot of money to Brussels, too, and that was a major, major issue. Of course, disproportionate to other countries. It's basically because Britain is larger and more well-endowed financially, they were to contribute to the EU kitty in a way that helped the other countries, especially the former Soviet bloc countries, Eastern European countries who had just come out of the shackles of communism. They needed a lot of funding. But uh, after a while, it got a bit tiresome. So we, we know that Britain will, of course, even with this agreement that needs to be voted on, that continual economic flow will stop, obviously, because it's a divorce. But the impact on the British economy is yet to be seen. There's dire predictions that it'll be not good, but there's others that it'll be just fine and Britain will weather it. Hard to say, Neil, but I think that Britain could weather it. But what's more important is they need to weather the storm that's happening in the British Parliament, and they need to come to an agreement very fast because the deadline is at the end of March of 2019. Well, there might be some more to say about Brexit. Listeners might have their own contribution or a question that you'd like to put from a Christian context as to what Brexit means. Other issues, Camille, and let's just touch on a few of these briefly and we can perhaps enlarge on some as the conversation continues to grow. You spend a lot of time in Israel and throughout the Middle East. In fact, Uh, Within the last 24 hours or so, I think you're back from Israel. Uh, A lot of people think about Israel, the developments that are going on there. Of course, there's war going on in so many parts of the Middle East. There's all of the conflict that continues between Israel and the Palestinians and the jostling for position that happens between all the nations throughout the Middle East. What are your thoughts for the trends that we might look at uh, for things that are happening in the Middle East at the end of 2018? Well, despite the challenges, and they are many, in the Middle East, I always explain to people, see the region as a chessboard. You have the dark-colored squares and the light-colored squares. What happens in one square may or may not touch the neighboring square. Uh, you can be you know, having war raging one place and total peace and stability in another, like the squares on the chessboard. Israel and Jordan 
and to a lesser extent, Egypt, are stable, peaceful. You wouldn't know anything was happening nearby. And yet there are challenges in Libya, in Syria, and in Yemen. That's one thing. The second thing is that Israel has to prepare for war, even though that doesn't mean war is inevitable. That's particularly coming out of Syria, not necessarily directly with Syria, but with those that are bolstering the Assad regime, namely Hezbollah and the Iranian government. Those two groups are very active in Syria, along with the Russians, and they do pose a direct threat to Israel. So Israel has been doing a particular operation of late, even as I speak, basically turfing out Hezbollah tunnels and Hamas tunnels and in, uh, just trying to upset the balance of power happening in Syria so that it doesn't boil over Israel's borders. At the same time, Benjamin Netanyahu, the Israeli prime minister, has been quoted to say that all Arab countries, and uh, he, yeah, I think he particularly emphasized all, are in direct contact with Israel, which is highly unusual because of the state of war and non-recognition of Israel by most of the Arab world, but because they have a mutual enemy, Iran, they are looking to Israel as a shield, militarily, nuclearly, and in other areas. And Camille, here's another opportunity for us to get your insights here just for a moment on the value of being a Christian, of having a starting point which takes the Bible as a foundation for appreciating what's happening in the Middle East because Christian believers would recognize that the people of Israel are still God's chosen people. And so, therefore, we can get our bearings, we can contextualize the developments that go on in the Middle East because we have this understanding of God's chosen people as the people of Israel. And whether we always agree with what goes on in Israel or not, we can make some sense here. What are your thoughts for the value of our Christian faith in understanding the developments we're seeing in the Middle East? The Christian faith is all important, not just for understanding the Middle East, but for understanding life and being prepared to face the future with confidence. I cannot stress this enough. The point when we come to faith in Christ, we are coming to a rock, building our lives on the rock, and no matter how much wind, waves, and floods happen, we cannot be dislodged from the rock, we cannot be plucked out of his hands, we cannot be lost, except possibly by our own action. But certainly, God is able to save us to the uttermost. This is incredibly reassuring. We have light that is amazing because we're following the light of the world. We're not enveloped by darkness. We are not tormented by darkness. We are not enslaved by darkness because we have the light of life. We have understanding through the scripture. And I have a motto. When you understand a situation, not just what is happening, but why it's happening, you are halfway towards a solution. This is the great hope that comes with the Christian faith. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. 
Well, there's so much to talk about. It is possible we could be glossing over some things that are important. You might have your own question or insights to draw attention to some of the global trends or national trends here in Australia that you think are important to mention as we get a bit of a summary on where we're at trends-wise at the end of 2018. Uh, 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Uh, Dr. Camille Magdaly is our guest. Camille Steph has made a comment on our Facebook page. She says, I believe the greatest challenges facing us at this time is the attack against the family unit. Uh, there's one we didn't mention in the introductory list. What are your thoughts for Stephanie's idea? Well, I can't disagree with Stephanie at all. I do believe that the attack on family, which is not always seen as an attack by those doing the attacking, it's more like, in their mind, redefining. I do agree. It is a not just a major challenge. It is high up on the list. But where I'm, I don't even call it disagree, but I view the attack on the family as part of the bigger challenge of the culture war. In other words, that which affects the family is part of this subhead, or shall we say major heading, of the culture war, because that's part of what's involved, the attack on the family, the economic implication, the unity of society, national sovereignty, attitude towards life and death, because one side does, without realizing it, embrace death, while the other embraces life. All that comes under the same banner of culture war. So, yes, we need to bolster the family, and there's no place better to do that than the Christian church. We should be the most family-friendly territory on earth, and I've been saying that for many years. <laughs> Taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Dennis in Queensland. Hello, Dennis. Welcome along. Hi. How are you doing? Very well. Dennis, what are your thoughts for our conversation? Uh, well, they're varied and many, Um I guess I have some questions as to where we are at today, um, according to scripture and uh, prophecy, uh, particularly in revelations. Um, then there's, I guess, other issues where um, Jesus said that there will be rumours of war and everyone will be crying for peace, but there won't be any. So I was just wondering what the... Um, guess bigger thoughts would be on that and particularly revelations when it describes how our society will be in the latter end days Dennis, good thought and you've come to the right place with Dr Camille Magdaly Camille, your thoughts for Dennis Well the initial thoughts is the yes description of the last days and that particularly before the return of Jesus to this planet is that they will be perilous times. There'll be wars, rumors of wars, and famines and pestilence and things of this sort. All of it is rather unsettling, except the Lord quickly adds, especially in his Olivet Discourse of Matthew 24, see that you be not afraid, or see that you be not shaken, that these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. It is an interesting thing. He's telling about rather unnerving situations. But for the person that is listening to him, following him, and of faith, he says, 
don't worry about it. And in fact, that is the tenor of Scripture, that for the person of faith, they should worry and fear nothing except God himself, which is not living in terror, but in reverent awe of God. I've always said, or shall I say, in the last few years especially, that the last days is not just doom and gloom. It is a time of contrast, where bad things get worse, but the good things, particularly the things of God, get better. And that Proverbs 4.18 is very important in this regard. The path of the just is a shining light, and it shines brighter and brighter to the perfect day. So the last days is a great opportunity to get out of the darkness and even the shadows and start walking with God, because there, in the walk with God, there's no darkness. Dennis from Queensland, thank you so much for your comment. Our talkback line remains open on 1-800-316-316. And this seems to be emerging as a little bit of a trend for this conversation, Camille, but as you share those sorts of things about an understanding of the Scriptures, this comes to one of the wonderful values uh, that we have in our Christian faith, the advantage that we have over others who are outside of a Christian faith in understanding the way these things look in the world and being able to approach them with a level of confidence that we can only have in God. Uh, what are your thoughts for the advantages of being a Christian and recognizing that there is turmoil in these end times? Well, as I shared, part of the advantage, and there are several very major ones, is that we have understanding of what's going on. We, therefore, have solutions. Now, some of them may be God-imposed solutions. Some of them may be, when Christ returns, solutions. But the fact is we have solutions, we, and we have immediate ones to the distress we feel. We have solutions for issues of health, for issues of peace and safety, or shall we call it, inner well-being. We have solutions on interpersonal relationships. We have solutions in finances. We have solutions where faith is the solution and it will move the mountains. We, we have so many advantages when we're walking with the Lord. I, I dare say I would have trouble naming them all, Neil. One of those is that we're not taken by surprise when there is bad news, because if you look at the news headlines, Camille, it's filled with bad news, but we're not taken by surprise because we're aware of what is suggested by prophetic insight that comes through God's revelation. He's already forewarned us and therefore given us a, a real skill and a real talent and a real confidence to be able to face whatever comes. That's right. We shouldn't be surprised at what we hear, but something more important, we shouldn't be shaken by what we hear. Part of the description of last days, and that certainly is very true for today, is there be a lot of shaking. It's like a big earthquake. And the temporal things that seem so permanent, I'm talking about of this world order, the cosmos, the K-O-S-M-O-S order of this world, they're being shaken, and in some cases already going out of existence. But that is not the case for people who build their lives on the rock, who have solid faith in the Lord, and who are walking 
in harmony with his word. They're not shaken by anything. Camille, we'll take a break here because we're about to go to news. Uh, Lots to talk about. We haven't even gotten to Donald Trump and our Australian trends yet. Well, Dr. Camille Majdali is our guest. He leads Teach All Nations. You'll be familiar with Camille with his Understanding the Times tours. He has graciously stayed up late. He's in the UK talking to us today. And uh, Camille, just wonderful to have you uh, on the line. Is it cooling down in the UK for Christmas? Yes, it is, Neil. (laughs) To say the least, it's uh, next uh, few days where I am. It's going to be like one or two or three degrees, although sunny. Okay, well, wonderful to hear that insight. And uh, no doubt you are in for the possibility of a white Christmas. Is that the is that the case? No. No, it's <laughs> no. not likely to snow. The UK doesn't get much snow, and when they do, it comes to a standstill. We leave the snow on the continent itself. Okay. All right. I don't want to miss getting to some detail here. If we're talking about these global trends and how they might affect Australia. But let's before we talk about Australia, and we'll get to that, uh, let's talk about the issues that are developing and continuing to develop in the US around Donald Trump. Uh, this seems to be, Camille, quite a clear illustration of how the culture war works. You were saying that the culture war for you would be the top of the list of those uh, threatening trends at the end of 2018. Uh, how do we look at what's happening in the US around Donald Trump and uh, culture war issues and uh, these trends that we ought to be observant of? Donald Trump has rightly been called the first wartime president in the 50-plus-year-old culture war. I couldn't agree more. This man is taking on not just the establishment elite, not just the forces of secular and not-so-secular progressivism, but even the challenge of radical Islam, which is dovetailing with the culture war. He's taking it all on like a one-man army. He's almost like a modern-day Samson for better and for worse, and he seems to be hitting a few home runs, and in other cases, he keeps fighting back. In fact, his perseverance is breathtaking when you consider so much opposition against him. I can't think of anybody that I've seen in modern times facing this much opposition and still living to fight another day. Interesting, when you talk about the opposition uh, that Donald Trump is standing against, uh, some people might describe that as a progressive wave, almost a progressive tidal wave uh, that wants to engulf uh, the US. And, of course, uh, we'll get to what that progressive tidal wave looks like when it overflows into Australia as well. But uh, he does seem to be standing against this progressive wave and uh, people do respond to leadership. And those who were being swept along by that appear to be uh, recognising that there's value in standing on a conservative side and uh, against that progressivism. How do you see that work? in the US? Well, what's happened in the US is that there has been a lot of left-leaning progressivism, oftentimes called liberal, but I never use that term. Progressivism is probably the better term. It's been happening for, for many, many years. And people who take conservative values, which many of them happen to be biblical values, would be very disheartened at the trends happening in the U.S. Mr. Trump 
came in in 2016, a long shot, and he basically was espousing the values that conservatives have longed to hear ever since the days of Ronald Reagan over 35 years before. And he not only gave voice, but he promised to fight for these very things. And he's delivering on that promise. He is fighting. I often call him a street fighter from New York in a suit. But he is fighting, as he promised. And he has made some progress, particularly in the Supreme Court. It's amazing what he has done there. Already two justices out of nine appointed, and the promise of more to follow. So it is hopeful that finally there is somebody from the outside that knows what is best, has resonated with many Americans, something you won't hear, of course, in the press, and he is making progress. Okay, let's talk about this progressive-ism and how it overflows uh, around the world, and we'll zero in on our Australian context. You'll be aware that uh, that uh, Daniel Andrews in Victoria recently uh, uh, won the Victorian state election, and uh, part of his election speech uh, that he you know, was making uh, as he won the election it was that uh, Victoria is the most progressive state uh, in Australia and uh, there is something significant about that when you read between the lines and understand what progressivism means uh, for a lot of people that just sounds like oh we're moving forward in a nice way but uh, there is this contrast with what we might be able to see in Australia and the things that are happening in the US how do you see the Australian situation well, if people understand that progressivism is basically the left wing, it believes in a utopian world, but one that is fashioned by things like income redistribution, marriage and family redefinition, attitudes towards life and death are radically altered from the Judeo-Christian view. Therefore, they endorse things like abortion on demand, euthanasia, assisted suicide, and it's basically, uh, shall we say, a war against Western civilization, capitalism, very anti-American, very anti-Israel. All these things are hallmarks of progressivism, and, and there's much more I could say. In America, thanks to Trump, there is a pushback. In Australia, this last season has been very, very successful for progressivism. You've just had abortion legalized in Queensland. The once safe conservative seat of Wentworth went to a very left-leaning independent, Karen Phelps. Of course, Daniel Andrews, despite many, many things that were not savory in the last four years under his reign, has been re-elected by a landslide, apparently, in Victoria, which that's where I'm from, and yes, I did vote. <laughs> so, uh, Progressivism, and of course, the ALP federally is comfortably positioned in the polls to win government when the election is held by May at the latest of 2019. Progressivism is alive and well in Australia, but I would say the reason for that, Neil, ultimately is because conservative Australians don't know who to look to as far as major parties are concerned to protect their values because many of the values that, say, the ALP has, well, so does the Liberal Party, too. And when it comes to defending traditional values, neither party is offering, at least 
from a Victorian state level, and many other states too, they're not offering those protections. There's no distinguishing mark between the two parties. I dare say it's similar in the UK. The Labour Party and the Tories, when it comes to moral issues, are almost identical. So it's a thing that's happening not just in Australia or America, but across the Western world. Well, what you're describing is a crisis in conservatism and the idea that people perhaps don't understand what it is to hold to conservative values. And even within that, when you talk about those conservative values often having a basis in a biblical foundation, a Judeo-Christian foundation to those conservative values, uh, some people describe that as a classical conservatism where you recognize the Christian influence there. But at the moment, Camille, there's a bit of a crisis for conservatives because they don't understand, or perhaps it's because of this idea of God appearing to be less plausible to people and uh, moving away from this idea of godliness and then becoming confused as to what a conservatism really means. What are your thoughts for uh, this conservatism and the crisis that it might be going through right now? Well, conservatism has been having a crisis for for a lot of years now. And part of it is because there's people who are calling themselves conservative, but they're anything but conservative. And we've seen this in uh, of late in certain key Australian politi- political figures uh, coming from the, say, the once conservative Liberal Party, but they're no more conservative than the man on the moon. And whether they realize that or not, I can't say. But what I can say is that classic conservatism is looking aghast at what is being done in their name and saying this has no resemblance to the ethics, the values, the morality that I hold dear. Much of it derived from Scripture. So the crisis is there's a redefinition of conservatism in the Liberal Party, in the British Tory Party, in the American Republican Party. They actually have an acronym, RINO, R-I-N-O, Republican in name only. In other words, they would call them fake conservatives, because they, even though they are part of what was meant to be a conservative party, they're advocating the same kind of progressive agenda that the left-leaning parties are advocating. So that's part of the crisis. And where Donald Trump comes into the picture is he's pulling people back to a more classic version, including family, including faith, including economic responsibility, including securing borders, All these are conservative issues, and he's championing them. So as you say, where there are fake conservatives, people who are pretending, or even when we talk about, uh, we talked about nominal Christians a little earlier, so you've got nominal conservatives, uh, what that does is leaves the door wide open for a progressive uh, tidal wave, as we've been talking about. So progressivism loves the idea that conservatism doesn't know what it really is all about. Well, the thing is that I believe that the progressive wave that we're seeing in Australia is simply because conservative Australians feel they have no leader, no one pushing their values. They probably felt that way, that there was a leader in a couple of the recent prime ministers, namely John Howard and Tony Abbott, but 
in other cases that has, has just not been. So when conservatives are disillusioned, they either abandon the conservative party or once conservative party, and that just makes more room for progressives. The same thing was happening in America, especially under the Clinton and Obama years, but uh, now conservatism has had a shot in the arm with the advent of Donald Trump. We need someone in Australia who will courageously, with a very, very thick hide, champion the values that made Western civilization and Australia a great place. We're taking calls. 1-800-316-316. Chris is on the line from Victoria. Hello, Chris. Welcome along. Good day, Neil. Camille. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you said what's wrong with the world. I think all of the above. But uh, just uh, the word nominal conservative, that's just another word for apostasy. Uh, you know, we wouldn't have uh, gay marriage. We wouldn't have uh, abortion come in, all this. Thing. There's no apostasy. The Bible says before the end there'll be apostasy and and that's the church is falling away. So I see um, the church has to preach uh, end-time prophecy, and, you know, it, it will give, say, the 144,000 seal, the um, the two witnesses in the end time, something, you know, to, to, to preach and, and to collaborate what the Christians were saying now. We've got to preach that in the church and outside the church because, um, you know, we can see the apostasy in the church. Okay, it's like you're saying, Chris, something like a symptom of weaknesses within the church or understanding faith. Uh, Camille, your thoughts for Chris? Well, apostasy, and it's a very important word, and it is a Bible word too, I understand apostasy has to do with departing from the faith. It's not technically a spirit or political issue, but politics will be affected by our attitude to faith. I fervently believe the Church should return to preaching and teaching on family values, moral values, ethical issues. We can do a whole lot more in these areas than perhaps we have been. And if we start with the Church and imbibe these values, then it will affect society and culture for the simple reason Jesus said, we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. Thank you so much to Chris from Victoria and our talkback line remains open 1-800-316-316 1-800-316-316 uh, There's some elections coming up next year in Australia, Camille We'll have a New South Wales state election in March then there's likely to be a federal election in May and no doubt the debates will all revolve around the issues but people will come at those issues from these different sides as you've identified in a culture war uh, some will be arguing a progressive side some will be arguing a conservative side Uh, from what I've been hearing uh, there's not a lot of joy in the idea of what might happen if the conservative side doesn't capture something of that classical conservatism uh, a recognition of the unmovable foundations that come from that biblical foundation Uh, what are your thoughts for 2019 looking ahead as trends go uh, so far as uh, elections and those sorts of things that you're observing in australia well i would say that progressivism will do very well in 2019 if the church doesn't get on their knees and pray. One of the things that worked in the United States 
And remember, the United States has gone through <laughs> a progressive tsunami for a while. Is there was fervent intercession for the 2016 election, and even more so since that election. I cannot stress enough how important it is that we pray in revival, because revival will solve many things. It's not the total panacea. It's <laughs> the total panacea is when Christ returns and establishes his kingdom, but it is the direction we desperately need. The promise of Second Chronicles 7.14 is so important. If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray, God promises to heal our land if we will do that. That's Second Chronicles 7.14. So we need to get serious about preaching and teaching the values that made the West great, which comes straight out of Scripture. And we not only need to follow those values, but we need fervent intercession. When that happens, there will be upset elections. And this has been the case in the last few years, upset elections in key countries. And basically the Trump election was an upset election too. We can have a pretty similar thing as well if we will humble ourselves and pray. The connection here, Camille, because sometimes we say, don't put your faith in political leaders, uh, put your faith in God. Uh, of course, there is a connection to leaders who put their faith in God. What are your thoughts for the way we look at, uh, you know, ticking off criteria for the sort of character we ought to be looking for in leaders, for those who have a voice? Uh, what are your thoughts for uh, for the people we're choosing as Christian believers? Well, first of all, we need to not be so fussy. God can use anyone. That was part of the issue with Trump, because he's had a very flawed and colorful past. And there are Christians who are called never-Trumpers, simply because they didn't approve of his past lifestyle. And I do believe it is past. I don't believe he's living that way now. Uh, we need to not question the the content of the box or the gift wrapping of the box. We need to take what we have. We, we need a voice, a voice that is clear, a voice that is consistent, a voice that imbibes biblical traditional values. We may not call them biblical, but they are. We need courage. That is probably the most important thing. Courage of conviction, because there will be resistance. But God tells us to be strong and of good courage. He tells us that he will strengthen our hearts. And furthermore, one of the benefits that I haven't even mentioned is that God promises to be with us to the end of the world. So when God is with you and for you, nothing and no one can be against you. We need to view all these things as we face 2019. And I believe if we'll do so with courage, with prayer, with consistency, and with advocating those things that are a blessing to society— then we have a very excellent chance to see the tide turn for the better. Well, Camille, time has run out, and I want to thank you so much for staying up late uh, tonight to share your thoughts with Australians, and uh, there's a very warm uh, connection with you, and uh, you're spending a lot of time these days 
globetrotting around the world. You're in the UK this week and for a short while, but you've just returned from Israel and the Middle East, and uh, you spend time in the US as well. Uh, just before we let you go, uh, give us a little indicator as to what your movements might be for 2019, because a lot of people are following your progress. Well, I'm going to be in the UK till February, then I'm actually making my first ever trip to Romania for ministry, a trip to the U.S. in March, and then in I'll be in, within April itself in the U.S., and then in May I'm looking to the Czech Republic, and then back to Israel in June. So that's just the first half, and in the between working within Britain and possibly some other places in Europe, because that's why I'm here focusing on Europe for this season, because if challenges in Australia may be great, but Australia is in the millennium compared to what's happening in Europe. So I've come to Europe. I trust, like Queen Esther, for such a time as this, not to sound grandiose, but yes, the need is great, but the prospects are even greater. Well, Camille, I know that there is a newsletter that you send out for people who subscribe, and people can subscribe via your website, teachallnations.org.au. And, of course, there are great resources from Dr. Camille Majdali, uh, more than a dozen books, and, of course, uh, lots and lots of uh, DVD messages and teaching series that are available through the Vision Store. So simply go to vision.org.au, and you'll find a link there for Vision Store. Type in Camille Majdali. You'll come up with an awful lot of resources there that will be very useful uh, in understanding what's happening in these times. Dr. Camille Majdali leads Teach All Nations tan.org.au Camille, I hope you sleep well for the rest of your morning. Thank you so much for staying up late and talking to us today on 2020. Thanks, Neil. And don't forget, we're both together on faith and the future. And that's coming up uh, not too far away, just about uh, an hour and 15 minutes from now. We'll catch up soon. And uh, the happiest and holiest of Christmases to you and Leanne and your family. Uh, God's richest blessing on you, Camille. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.